0: Can open your Bibles to Genesis 1. I'm going to start uh, <clears throat> while you're turning there. I'm going to give us a little bit of an orientation for uh, Route 66. If you're a guest this morning or a, an attender and you're just stumbling in, what a great Sunday to come because we're getting ready to start a, a 66 week long walk through the Word of God. So there's 66 books of the Bible, and we're going to take 66 weeks to examine this one story and how it, how it all comes together. And I want to walk you through some of the ways we're going to encourage you to do that, because during the week, we're going to encourage ourselves to read the Word of God as a family or as an individual. This Monday through Friday, there's a reading schedule. And then on Sundays, we're going to preach the story of God. So sometimes the readings and the preaching will be together, and sometimes they won't be because you have more to read. Uh, chopping the story up is different than chopping the Bible up into 66 even parts. We're starting this morning, and what I've done is I've broken up the 66 weeks of preaching into different themes. So we're going to kind of thematically climb through the story of God, and today we're in what I would call the prelude to the story. So if uh, these next three weeks, our first stop in our trip is to the prelude of the story of God, which is gonna be these first three weeks, creation, man, and the fall. By the time we're done with these three weeks, if, if the Lord was telling us, you know, visiting with around a fire, at the end of three weeks, we would say, well, what happened next? And he would say, well, you have to hear this story. Okay? So Genesis 1, the beginning of the story, the beginning of the prelude, and I'm going to read the first verse of the Bible. It says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's a very simple sentence and the meaning is pretty clear it's within reach God created everything. If you stared a little deeper at the Hebrew, you would start to deduce something like this. God created everything and he did it from nothing. And other parts of the Bible sort of return to that, that God is outside of creation. He pre-exists all that exists. He's an uncreated creator. Now, all of that might not discreetly be here, but be in this passage. But all of that, the word is is pushing on us in various parts of the story. It's worth noting: there's no real creative backstory here. There's no long illustrative, colorful, fantastical, farcical account of who made God or how was God made or anything like that. There's no sort of proto-gods behind gods, which was, by the way, par for the course in every religion of the time. I mean, when Genesis is becoming written down as a part of the the faith of the Hebrew people, every religion within a thousand miles had stories of God that were like rife with how God became, out of what water did they come, what river fed him, who gave birth to him, these sorts, there's none of that here. There's none of that. The brevity of this sentence carries its own weight. It's ruggedly monotheistic. God made it all. There's no titans behind the Greek gods. It's God. He's the point. Here's uh, the next verse, verse two. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the first image we have of the stuff that God made is a disorganized image. It's almost as though, it would say this way, if if the Lord was a great chef, the first image we have would be all the ingredients on the table, but he hasn't done anything yet. They're just there. We start with this picture of chaos and darkness and the Spirit of God hovering over them. It's almost like the moment in time before the Lord enters into the creative stuff to make something. It's the picture we're looking at here. There's a few things that I think are helpful from this. The first is that we see that darkness and chaos are not outside of god's control or his realm or his dominion it's not as though there's a god is the god of light and the god of order and there's this other god who's the god of dark and disorder and they're in sort of a uh, this binary dualistic war with one another or harmony between light and dark right it's not a yin and a yang it's not that at all it's it's quite the opposite chaos and darkness are, live inside of the sovereign oversight of God. That's valuable. It's valuable even in our own lives to know that your chaos and your darkness is not outside of the purview of the Lord. Where can you go where he cannot find you? Even if you go to the depths of Sheol, he's there. The darkness is not dark to him all of all of the chaos we see is still underneath the sovereign power of God. That's the first thing that's worth noting. Here's the second thing is this is God's starting point. I mean, I think we we, we either know or you can guess where this is all going. We're headed to a beautiful pristine world full of life and green and animals and fish and birds and man and it's it's perfect. It's it's as it should be, that's where we're headed. But that's not where it starts. It starts in chaos, in disorder. And for some reason, the Lord wants us to see this. He wants us to know that he brings light out of darkness, that he brings order out of disorder, that he brings wholeness out of chaos. He wants us to know his way, not just what he did, but how he did it. I'll put it this way. We, I believe we can say the net activity of God is to move things from some degree of chaos to order. His net activity. What I'm saying is, is in your life, if God's at work, he's ultimately on his way to bringing you to wholeness. Now you might need to hear, I say the net activity, because there's gonna be moments where the Lord tears things down in order to build things up. There's gonna be chaotic seasons. Anyone who's ever sort of done a renovation in a home knows that sometimes the largest half of it is demolition. So there may be moments, but God's net activity in your life, if he's allowed to work in your life, his net activity is to bring you to order and wholeness and peace. And it doesn't matter where he starts with you. Because all even chaos is in his purview. Okay, that's, that's verse two. I want to read three through 13. And as I do, I just want you to hear and listen for this process, this iterative process of order coming out of, being separated and rising up out of disorder, just to see God's, God's way. Here's what it says in verse three. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The Lord brought the earth, brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. So there's three days. And as we we look at these three days, uh, especially. You know, I suppose we could say we could make the creation our own fixation or our own focus. But today, what I want us to do is look at the story of creation with the broader story of what God is doing. Okay, so we're chiefly interested in the story of God. And if we look at it with the story of God, what we see is this work, this patterned work of the Lord mining order, constru- building and constructing and devising order from a world of disorder separating things and putting things in their place and making them suitable, making them proper habitats. That's actually what he does here is he builds and constructs these realms or these dominions or these kingdoms that you might say that he's going to go on and fill in a moment. He's going to fill them up with life and, and complexity. So in day one, for example, he creates this realm of light and dark. But in day four, he fills it with the sun and the moon and the stars and the sky. He says, verse 16 says, he puts the sun there to rule over the day and the moon to rule over the night. So this realm of night and dark gets filled with beautiful complexity. And on day two, he makes this realm of the sea and the sky. And he, on day five, he fills it. He fills the sea with fish who swarm and team and and, and are beautiful and creative. And he fills the sky with birds. There's this notion of the realms like these massive galactic aquariums get filled up with life. We see this on day three, land rises out of the sea. And on day six, he fills the land with animals. It's as though he's creating, he's ordering the setting and then he's filling the setting with life. So that we have these, by the time we get to the end of the sixth day, we have these realms of creation that are overflowing with life. And then he makes a ruler. Look at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. Do you see that? Dominion Dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock over and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So the Lord created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. that he had made and behold it was good very good and there was evening and there was a morning the sixth day these, these dominions that are full of life and then he comes along and he makes the human in his image God's a ruler human the human was made to be a ruler the man was made to be a ruler right? what God is in full because we're like him what God is in full we're like him in part what God might be in his infinite capacity, we are at least somewhat in our finite capacity. We're like him. We're the goal of creation. We're the ruler of the earth, is the picture here. Everything on the earth is subject to the man. And man is subject to the Lord. We bow to God and everything else bows to us. That's the starting picture. And when that is done, God rests. Look at chapter two, verse one. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The Bible goes round and round like that for emphasis, right? Everything is completed so God can rest. The picture here is, is had it not been complete, the Lord would still be at work. If there had been something wrong, or missing, well, the Lord would not have rested. That's what makes that's that's in a way what is sort of hiding in this notion that the Lord made that day holy. He set that day apart. That day commemorates the very goodness of everything He did. It's complete. I'll say at one level, just with our lives in Christ in mind we could say this, God will not rest until he's complete. So what he has begun in you, he is at work in you. And he will not stop until he can be at rest. These are moments where you just want to touch on our faith is anchored in the first moments of the word. This passage is begging us to ask the question, especially if if you're maybe a little bit sidestepped from the faith of God, you go, well, yeah, but what about everything that's gone wrong? Okay? That's the story. We're on our way to the story. But it's begging that question. It's not as though God wrote this among non-fallen people. This story comes, and it's with everything that's wrong in the world, this story is the predicate for it. God made everything well and he rested. What happened is the story. Now, what I would like to do is take this creation account and some of the significance that we've talked about and ask this broad question. How does this creation account weave itself through the word in a way where it matters? Is it just the start of the story or is it meaningful? Is it full of meaning? And if if it does have meaning, what broad meaning does it have In the story of God. And here's five things that we can say uh, where the creation or God, our creator, there's five significant ways that that matters in the story. Here's the first one. It is the basis, it's the basis of worship. It's the very basis of worship. In chapter two, the Lord's gonna say to the man, once he's made the man, hey, you're free to eat of any tree of the garden. That you won't, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for on the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. It's the fact that God is creator that puts him above man. It's the reason we owe the Lord worship. And the reality is, when you're at harmony with the Lord, your real spirit of worship is not based upon obedience to rules. Rules simply clarify God's will for us. The reality is, is real worship comes from recognizing God as our creator, or our re-creator, whichever way you approach him. Either way, you worship God because you realize without him you would be chaos. Nothing without him. Here's how it sounds in the Psalms. This is Psalm 8. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You see what the psalmist, the psalmist is doing something like looking out over a lake at sunrise at all of what God's done. And going, I cannot believe I matter to him. I just can't believe I matter to him. That in all of that, he would know the hairs on my head and want to govern my very soul. Man. That's what the psalmist is saying. It's the, it's the basis for worship. Here's another way of saying it. Kind of this, this one has a little bit more of a point to it, but does this is out of Isaiah. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? The Lord's saying, hey, I'm your creator. Settle down. I got this. It's sort of at the heart of worship. God has us. It's the first. It's the basis for worship. Here's the second one. That God as creator is the basis for his exclusive rule in our life, for his authoritative rule in our life. God alone is our Lord. The image in the story that comes to my mind is when God rescued his people from Egypt. He goes to Pharaoh, the deified ruler of the greatest empire of the known earth, Okay, and he says to them, God said, let your slave population walk free. And then what happens is this display of God's power over these 10 trials or these 10 plagues that the Lord brings, where throughout it, the Lord begins to show his preeminence above and over all of the things that you can imagine in the Egyptian pantheon, they managed with a whole myriad of God's their complex spirituality of how do you manage the harvest and how do you manage the rain and how do you manage fertility and how do you manage the river and the droughts and the seasons and all these things. And they had all of these gods and our one God comes in and bit by bit topples over all of their idols. I'm over that and I'm over that and I'm over that and I'm over that. There is no other God before me. I control your great river. I control the harvest. I control the health of your livestock. I control the very day and night. I control whether it rains or whether it hails or whether it hails fire. I control the life of the firstborn of the Pharaoh of the greatest empire. I alone am God. That's what he says. As creator He is exclusive in his rule. All truth is found in him. Here's the third thing God, as creator, is the basis for all petition. If you have something you need, you can go to one place for everything. Doesn't matter what it is, you can go to one. This is Psalm 50. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. Did you ever encourage somebody that way on you know, the other side? And you go, "Hey, man, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills." Be at peace. The Lord, if the Lord is over all things, then we can come to Him for anything and everything. It's encouraging to think no matter what your circumstance is, you are always, right, no matter how chaotic your life is, no matter how much disorder is in your world, and no matter how like things are falling apart, you are always in position to go to the Lord for help because he is over everything. That's encouraging. Here's the fourth one. God as creator is the basis for rest. So this is the Ten Commandments as they're in the Ten Commandments are given in Exodus. Here's the rationale that we're to rest on the Sabbath. The Lord says this, for in six days, the Lord made heaven, the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We're saying, hey, you rest because I rested or more importantly, you rest in my rest. You rest in the faithful belief that I'm in control. It's the predicate of the tithe, by the way. Resting and tithing are almost the same expression of I do these things, these, un, these unhuman behaviors come only because of God's provision. My life exists beneath the canopy of his complete care. So I can rest. Certainly our life is visited with chaos We all understand that. We all understand being in seasons of life that are uh, chaotic. And this is the Lord's way of saying, like, in those moments, tell me that you know that I'm in control. Do it with your rest. Here's the fifth basis, right? God as creator is the basis for faith and trust. A lot of these things flow from one and into the other, but we can trust and have faith in the Lord because of all that he's done. The best example that I think of this in the Bible is Job. Job is a man, uh, if you're generally familiar with the story, a lot of bad things happen to him. And because he's a man of righteousness and faith, he knows that all the bad things that are happening to him are happening to him beneath the watchful eye of the Lord. So throughout his life there's these question marks because he's experiencing the life worse than anyone around him and he knows God sees. So at the end of the story, at the end of the day, Job has a chance to gain an audience with the Lord and he gets to, meets the Lord and he says to the Lord something like, what gives? Why? And the Lord's reply is something like this. Job I need to ask you to be, act like a man for a moment because I have a question for you. And then the Lord asks him 77 questions, all of which are anchored in God as creator. Here's the first several. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? That's the first three of 77. Like, Job, you're coming to me with a grievance that presupposes that I'm not in control or that I'm not good or that I'm the Lord of chaos. So I'm gonna remind you of what I did And at the end of this, you know what Job says? Job says to the Lord, I've spoke of things I do not understand. Things too wonderful for me. I'm sorry. I want us to see that the first page of the Bible, we don't leave it behind. It's sown throughout the whole story. Our whole relationship with God doesn't exist after the story of creation. It exists inside of the story of creation. Even if Christ had not raised us from the dead, we still would have proper righteous cause to worship God because He's our Creator. That's enough. It was enough for Adam, it remains enough for us. God as re creator, or in Christ, God as re creator, is a suitable function to worship, to accept His rule, for faith and trust and rest, all of those things. We welcome all of those things into our life. And I want to say this last thing before we move on sort of to the New Testament is rebellion from the Lord, every form of disobedience from God, it is depicted and is in fact, so it doesn't just look like this, it is depicted and is in fact a movement away from God's order towards chaos. That's exactly what it is. Sometimes you'll see it very metaphorically, but it actually is that. That's why all sin, what, is, what are the wages of sin? The wages of sin is death. To walk away from the Lord and to violate his rule or ignore his command or his goodness or his order and to do that is to re, begin to reduce your life, right? It's the path of corruption that leads to death and ultimately you become what? Dirt. Back to the dust. All rebellion from God is depicted and is in fact a movement away from the order of God into chaos. Life goes to death, decay, and dust. The flood is a beautiful example of this, right? The flood of Noah, which we'll look at in a couple weeks. That flood, right, it's God's way through judgment of reducing everything back into chaos, right? And I said the net activity is order. So what does he do? He recreates, starts again. Sin reverses us back to chaos. Redemption reorders us back to God. Okay. Let's take these ideas and then begin to formally think about Christ because, again, creation's not just the starting point. It's God as creator is the sphere in which we understand the Lord. So we get to the New Testament, and we're going in with an operating thinking that God alone is creator, and to be creator is what makes you the Lord. It's what makes you God. So to be worthy of honor, worthy of worship, worthy of rule, worthy of my rest, worthy of my trust, worthy of my faith, worthy of my obedience, to be worthy of all of those things, you have to be the creator God. And so John begins his gospel with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made and him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness is not overcome it. This is John's way of saying, Jesus is he who created. These things that to a people of the book, to a people of the story, these things that they directed to the Lord one by one because of who he's done, John is saying these things all can be directed to Christ. Paul will say it this way in Colossians. Paul will say, for by him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and forth. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What we have ascribed to the Lord as creator. The story goes on to say, this we bring to Christ as our creator. Even our re-creator, right? In a way, we're born of water, Praise the Lord through Christ. We're born of spirit. It's this. It's this notion of as if it was not enough to make you. If you're in Jesus Christ, He promises to remake you. In fact, He will continue to work until the job is complete. There's this is a beautiful passage in the Gospel of John when it's looking at the passion of Christ at the very end. It says. Uh, he says these words, it is finished, and then he, his spirit departed, he passes away. And John makes this note, this fitting note, he says, it was a special Sabbath. I, the fact that John would begin, begin with Genesis 1 and end with rest is just fabulous. When Jesus was done with his work, he rested, and, and John's like, oh man, that was a Sabbath. It's perfect. God made you, and he's remaking you. What what enough cause for worship and for rule. This story of creation shows up in all sorts of ways. If we just go all the way to the very end of the Bible, this is the promise we get, is behold, God is making all things new, right? There's this notion, and I say this so that we have hope, because in this interim time where we say disorder and chaos and things as they shouldn't be, it's the Lord's way of saying, settle down. The net activity of everything I do ends with restful peace and wholeness. I'm on my way, it's on its way. Trust in the work of the Lord. Continue to rest in the work of the Lord because it's not done yet. That's part of the rest of the story. I'm going to close this in prayer. And as I do, I just want to put up this last slide for you. This is the things that God as creator, that these are the, is the basis for. And I want you just as we go to prayer, maybe look at those one last time and think, which one of these five just doesn't seem to stick in my life? Like, I can worship the Lord pretty well, and then when something goes wrong, I'm like Job. You're like Job if you get your hamburger wrong at McDonald's. Lord. Right? Is that it? Right? Or is it you just, you cannot find rest. This is a moment to say, your inability to rest is a God of creation issue. Okay? Or you feel like you're so frail in your trust. Which one is it? As I pray, I just, it may help how your heart goes to the Lord in this, because you can just bow your heads now. We're just going to come to the Lord, our Creator, Jesus Christ, the Recreator, the Spirit, Lord, who's hovering over the chaos of this world, Lord, even maybe us. We pray and invite you to enter in, separate us out. Put things where they ought to be. Create spaces in our life, Lord, that you can fill with life. And when you do, Lord, I just look forward to us being under your peaceful rule, your resting rule, where we see the things you say not as offensive rules just to exercise your power, but as the way of life, the very description of of what harmony looks like with you, Lord. Forgive the parts of us and change the parts of us that bump up against your rule as though you're out to get us or to ruin our fun or to get in our way, Lord. Remind us, Lord, you're the way of life. Lord, as we set out to read the word together, give us this steady patience to know that all of it takes place inside of the fact that you have made everything And you made it very good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.